0: Thank you. That was rather beautiful, don't you think? A kind of Pentecostal experience, in fact. One of the things I loved about that was there was both something that was unified and harmonious, a wholeness that was going on about what we were doing, but I could also pick out individual strands and even some individuals. Every Christmas at home, we played the CD of Christmas uh, songs from the choir here, Um, and it's similar. There's this sea of choral sound, but now and again I can pick out Crispin or Rhian or Justin. People are subsumed but never lost. Your voice was distinctively there as part of this little polyphonic miracle that we just had. Now in the story of Pentecost, the disciples began to speak in other languages, or at least the polyglot visitors who were crammed into Jerusalem uh, for the Feast of Pentecost, which was a kind of harvest festival, could hear what the disciples said in their own tongue. Now, this story is rich in theological ideas and symbols, most of which I'm going to ignore. It's often twinned with the Old Testament story of the Tower of Babel. If you recall, there's an account in the early chapters of Genesis where the early humans, uh, who all spoke one language... Planned to build a tower with its top in the heavens to make a name for themselves, and God was alarmed at their pride and their organisational ability. So He confused their language so they couldn't understand one another and scattered them abroad. Who'd think that God could be so insecure? By contrast, the miracle of Pentecost is seen as a moment of healing and redemption where the scattered are brought back together in the name of Christ. The confusion, the fragmentation, is ended as we all speak with one voice. Well, could be, but it's a bit bleeding obvious, and I wonder if there's something else that's going on. See, Language is very interesting, and of course in one sense Genesis got it wrong. The multiplicity of language is a blessing, not a curse. Language and languages are living things. They grow out of a people, a place, a culture, and they develop and change over generations. So take a word like nice, for example. It used to mean stupid ignorant, foolish, but it shifted over the years to mean blandly pleasant, but also, in other contexts, precise and fitting. Naughty used to mean that you had nothing, nero, naught. It signified then something wicked or evil, and now it's something that's just a bit, well, naughty. And a language doesn't just shift over time, it varies from place to place. Uh, English is a case in point. Wherever English is spoken, it's different. Apart from Standard English and its versions in, say, America and Australia, there are, as far as I can make out, more than 160 different English dialects. That's dialects, not just accents. And one of my favourites is Manglish, which is a Malaysian blend of English, Malayan, Chinese and Tamil. So they're talking in tongues all in one go. Even in clusters as small as families or interest groups, there are words and phrases that become code, which can only be deciphered by those who are in the know. Meryl, my wife, wanted to text the word huzzah to our daughter to celebrate some good news, but uh, autocorrect on our phone changed it to gizzards. (laughs) And so, this is, of course, has now entered the dony lexicon. Where so, whenever we went to expo- express joy and congratulation, we simply text gizzards. <laughs> so, how we speak and how we communicate is richly nuanced and personal. And as I said, this springs from our history, our culture, our religion, our way of being and thinking. As a result, we sometimes develop expressions or words which have no precise equivalent. In other languages. Uh, For example, here's a word I happen to know is a favorite of someone who's in this congregation. It's German. It's Werschlimmbesserung. I think they've got it. Uh, And there's no English equivalent. It means a supposed improvement which only makes things worse. (laughs) Or take another, which some of you are probably more familiar with. Uh, Ubuntu, which is a Bantu word, which means something like "I find my best self in relation to others," or "I am because you are." And one more, uh, a personal favourite, the Hebrew word nefesh, which is often mistakenly translated in the Bible as "soul," but actually means something more like the essence of life—body, mind, and spirit—all in one. Uh, words like these are easily lost in translation. So where am I going with this? I think that what I'm saying is, going back to Pentecost, that if people heard Peter and the other apostles speaking in their own language, they weren't all simply hearing the same thing. They heard a message that was specific to them. And for me, this slightly alters the meaning of the Pentecost story. Now, many of you have heard St. Dave Tomlinson talk about the deficiencies of flat pack Christianity, where the formula, the kit, is identical to everyone. He's right, there is no one-size-fits-all. And one of the reasons that the Christian faith has survived is because Nigerians, Italians, Poles, Chinese, Palestinians have found it gives for them room to be authentically who they are. They express their faith differently, they make different accommodations and even within each language group, as I mentioned, there are a multiplicity of dialects and borrowings. Now this is a very important lesson for us as individuals. What we see at Pentecost is the first Christians beginning to find their voices. For some days they'd been huddled away. Keeping to themselves, and then they had had this experience of being charged by the Holy Spirit. But they recognized viscerally that God was not some outside being who made pronouncements. God was a presence, an inner compunction, the energy source that had illuminated Jesus, and this presence set them on fire. Take Peter. The tiggerish, impulsive, emotionally driven disciple whose mood swings had taken a dark turn after his betrayal of Jesus at the crucifixion, all of a sudden, he was taking the lead with newfound confidence. He was ready to speak. He had found his voice. The central symbolism of Pentecost was that the words and the life of Jesus were no longer simply under the ownership of a kind of cult following. This was something which overflowed to everyone of whatever nation, culture or language. The message of love, compassion and inclusion was open to all. Peter, in his speech, you may remember from our readings, uh, quoted the Hebrew prophet Joel. God declares that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh and your sons and daughters shall prophesy... Prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, even upon slaves, both men and women. In those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. The truth was not the property of the priests, the lawyers, the politicians, the self appointed leaders. It was open to young and old, men, women, trans, slave, and free. Anyone everyone had something to contribute. Your, my, actual individual voice, as we know, is unique. It's like a fingerprint. That's why voice recognition software works, sometimes. But we also talk of the need to find our own voice, by which we mean discovering our authentic identity, grasping what it is that we think and what it is we have to say. And this takes development, inspiration, education, and confidence. Our voice, our language, is personal and precious. At the risk of sounding apocalyptic, we live in dark days where long-held freedoms are under threat. The use of swinging executive powers, the attempts to stifle debate and derail opposition gather strength to the centre. The people have spoken... We are told whether or not the numbers add up. We just keep quiet, is the subtext. Pentecost tells us different. The core group in Jerusalem at the time of Pentecost apparently numbered no more than 120. This was a rump, a minority, but they had something to say and the conviction to speak out loud. If there ever was a need for the nuance of the human voice, the inflection of language, the to and fro of conversation, the time is now. We should not be silent, especially if we feel marginalised. Peter, in one of his letters, wrote, Always be prepared to answer anyone who asks you to explain the hope that is within you. We take the living words of Jesus of Nazareth into the streets. We speak for the poor in spirit, for the meek those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for the merciful, the peacemakers and the persecuted. We speak with passion, anger even, but we mind our language, remembering always to speak with temperance and empathy. As our Pentecostal song experiment showed, we can weave our different voices together. We retain our integrity, our authenticity, but in the spirit of Ubuntu, we make something that is collective and indivisible. Love, understanding and compassion form a universal language, a kind of lingua franca which, like Peter's oration, is understood by everyone, whether we use words or whether we act it out in body language. But language exists in order to be expressed because if we remain silent, then others will claim to speak for us. They will put words in our mouths and now is the time, other the days, to find our own voice, to speak our lingo. Amen.